This Tin Caps podcast is brought to you in part by Hoopy Insurance Services, our family serving your family since 1981. Visit Hoopy Insurance Services online at hoopy-insurance.com. Also brought to you in part by Child's Play Plus. It's their life, and together we can make the most of it. Learn more at childsplayautism.com. As well as Lodge Optical. They're in your neighborhood with five convenient locations around Fort Wayne. Find out more at LongeOptical.com. Podcast brought to you by Star Financial Bank, too. Head to StarFinancial.com to learn more about how Star Financial Bank's traditional values keep them focused on what matters most, their customers, and the communities they serve. And finally, for now, this broadcast brought to you in part by Legacy Heating and Air Conditioning, dedicated to providing the best possible solution for your home or business. Find out more at LegacyHeating.com. And with that, we say greetings from Fort Wayne. Hi, everyone, and a pleasant whatever day and time it is that you're listening to this. I'm Tin Caps broadcaster John Nolan, and this time I'm joined by fellow Tin Caps radio broadcaster Mike Moz. Of course, right now we wish we were gearing up for the start of the minor league baseball season and even the big league season before that. More importantly, though, for now, we hope everyone is safe, healthy, hanging in there and staying at home while practicing social distancing, washing hands, and in general, keeping good hygiene right now amidst this novel coronavirus pandemic. And in the meantime, we can't claim that this is essential listening. However, I do think it is essential that we continue to to look ahead to better days to come. And by the way, thanks so much for all of the truly essential workers out there those in healthcare, working in stores, pharmacies, and much more. Thank you so much for helping to keep life, at least in a small way, uh, afloat right now. In case you missed it, Bill Plaschke of the LA Times had a nice column earlier in the week in which he had the chance to chat with the legendary former voice of the Dodgers, Vin Scully. And Vin, who has been sage for decades, had this to say, if baseball starts up, We've got this thing beat, and we can go about our lives. Baseball is not a bad thermometer. When baseball begins, whenever that is, that will be a sure sign that the country is slowly getting back on its feet. Of course, well said there by Vin, and we can only hope it will eventually ring true. So here during this conversation, we'll look ahead a bit to the 2020 season that was supposed to begin for the Tin Caps on April 9th in Bowling Green, Kentucky against the Hot Rods and with opening day at Parkview Field set for April 13th. Before that, though, Mike, thanks so much for joining. And this is likely the first time a lot of Tin Caps fans have had the chance to hear your voice here since Labor Day when the 2019 season came to a close. So uh, other than all this craziness in the world right now, how have you been? Not too bad, John. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a while since uh, our loyal listeners uh, have had a chance to hear my crazy voice, but uh, a lot has happened between Labor Day and today. And Mike kept busy during the wintertime broadcasting Purdue-Fort Wayne women's basketball and right now would have been in the heart of the Macedon's men's volleyball season. Instead, you know, I understand uh, you're getting a little bit more family time. <laughs> Uh, a lot more family time, but I think back, John, uh, w- hopefully we'll get the baseball season started, and uh, that'll be year number 19 on the payroll, 18 being able to broadcast, be it Wizards or Tin Caps baseball. My 25th year at Purdue-Fort Wayne was cut short because of this 
crazy situation, but I did get women's volleyball in, I did get women's basketball in, and I got a number of men's volleyball matches in. Um, but, uh, you know, it, th- th- it is what it is right now, and, and, and you said it so eloquently, um, we need to use common sense right now. This is something that none of us have ever experienced before. And uh, it does bring us closer together. I know um, staying in the house... Maybe I should rephrase that in light of, of what we're being asked to do, among other things. Uh, brings us closer together, perhaps, as a family unit. Um, Figuratively and figurative, literally at least six yes, feet away. That's correct. In my particular case, my wife, Sue, and uh, my two boys, Michael and Robbie, we all live in the same house. But when we are at home, we do spread apart and uh, into different rooms. So we're trying to do our best for that. But we're getting a chance to, to spend more time together. And and maybe if there is a silver lining or two in what has been taking place recently uh, th- throughout not only the country but in a lot of most of the world, it is the chance to reassess a lot of things. And from a family perspective, you get a chance, and at least in my family, to talk about more things that we haven't talked about in a long, long time, whether it's... Uh, accomplishments of my granddaughter who's a junior at IU in Bloomington from a scholastic standpoint or or watching uh, what my daughter does at the Embassy Theater uh, being as involved as she has been for eight years plus or seeing the progress my wife has made I'll be quite honest John and you know about this uh, there have been some health issues recently with both Sue and myself we're both diabetic and seeing the determination that she's had uh, to get better and that's a, a great thing for me personally uh, to see her not give up and uh, so talk about little things of trying to uh, to get better uh, you and I had talked before we started this asked if we've had a chance to do some walking and and I mentioned to you that up until recently we've been trying to spend a few days a week at the local Y um, not only walking but uh, hitting some of the apparatus, whether it, uh, for me, it's getting on a bike or for her getting uh, um, on some other uh, machines to try to improve strength and health and, and self-confidence. So a little bit of the tidbit things about that. But now we're in a situation where we're being asked uh, by a number of authorities, local, state, federal, to to change our lifestyles, even though it's hopefully going to be just for a short period of time. So we hope to do some of those things, you know, like stay six feet apart, or uh, especially in the case of my wife and myself, because we're not as young as you guys are, uh, maybe staying at home more and not going out unless it's absolutely necessary. But to get back to what we hope to talk about more later on in, the, in this podcast, it's going to give us a chance to to reminisce. Uh, um, I mentioned this is my, eight, Lord willing, 18th year being able to broadcast, be it Wizards or Tin Caps Baseball, and, and you're getting ready to start year number eight here in Fort Wayne. And uh, we'll talk about some reminiscing a little bit later on, but you stop and think baseball and you said it uh, talking about being a barometer for the nation i remember growing up baseball apple pie uh hot dogs and uh baseball yeah, baseball hot dogs apple pie and chevrolet that was that was they're not a sponsor 
they're not a sponsor, no, but just thinking back and uh, I had someone ask me a uh, uh, Facebook chat recently, do you remember your first uh, experience of seeing Major League Baseball in person? And for me, yes, Sunday, August 26, 1962 at Tiger Stadium. And uh, the Tigers were playing the Washington Senators at that time. That's how long ago it was in a doubleheader. And uh, my one uncle and aunt, who also happened to be my godparents, took my brother Jim and me downtown Detroit. And I remember that day I could almost pitch for pitch uh, in both games of the doubleheader. Tigers won the first game 2-0, Washington the, the nightcap 5-3. And uh, I know later on we're going to talk about the what has happened here in Fort Wayne since 1993. And there have been a lot of great moments, and we'll get into them later. But it is fun to look back and see what has transpired and then talk about, okay, we can learn from the past to make the future better in the present, if that makes any sense. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, very well said, Mike. And you're reminiscing about the first major league game you had a chance to go to. One thing that my own father has been doing here to to pass some time over the weekend, he was going through shoeboxes full of old ticket stubs. And and he has memories of his first Mets game back in 1969. And I grew up in, in the New York City area and even dug up uh, ticket stubs from the first couple of games that I went to, which I can't say I have any recollection of because I was five and six months old. Uh, but he also had a ticket stub from the game when 2004 when David Wright had his first hit and go on to have more hits than anyone in the franchise's history. So, yeah, that's a cool thing to be able to uh, to take some time, whether it's a, you know kind of a hobby-type project like that or I know a lot of folks right now are, are playing some board games or card games. How, uh, how are the Mazas passing the time? One of the things that the four of us have been doing a lot lately and um, is playing Pinochle. And, uh, this is a card game. A, it is a card One game. One that I personally have never played before. And just for uh, we'll do a little card playing 101 with you, John. A regular deck of playing cards is 52 in total. For Pinaco, it's 48. Um, you have aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, and nines, and no other numbers uh, for a Pinaco deck. And uh, the object of the game, whether like we play it to 100, if you if you get a, a box of Pinaco cards and you look inside with the different rules and that, a lot of people will go 10 times, which where we say game to 100, uh, the card will say game to 1,000, and and you try to get a run, and in Pinocchio, a run is ace, ten, king, queen, jack, in, a, in the same suit. But you can have what they call meld, which would be aces around, kings around, queens around, jacks around. Uh, Pinocchio, queen of spades, jack of diamond. And usually you bid to see who wins the bid. You call trump, you lay down meld, and then you try to make the bid. And um, up until... Uh, the last two nights, uh, it's been my son, youngest son Robbie and me taking on my wife Sue and my oldest son Michael. And for about five weeks, they were cleaning our clocks <laughs> royally, no matter what we did. But the last uh, couple of nights, uh, we have won. Uh, on the comeback trail? On the comeback trail, we won uh, 
We won two games last night, took two out of three the night before, and decided on this particular evening to call a momentary truce because you don't want to mess up a good thing by playing it too often. Um, but that's one of the things we've done. Um, one of the things we miss is going for car rides throughout the area. It's a time where, in some small degree, we're bunched up because we're all in a car, but we visit various parts of the city. And that's something that both of our families have done for years and years and years, is go for rides. And it's a chance, again, to be together and talk about things that otherwise we may not talk about during the course of a ride. But uh, outside of sleeping longer um, and eating and... uh, Watching TV, and and, and you talked about some of the things I just saw the other day on uh, MLB Network, the old home run derby series, and your dad will remember this. Um, And it was this particular case, it was Willie Mays against Mickey Mantle back in the days. Um, Seeing some of the good things that have happened in life. Hmm. By the way, a shameless plug, I had prompted that question of if anyone remembers the first big league or minor league game or just sporting event they went to and it was cool got some replies uh, our friend Beth White she actually saw a Cubs Mets game at the tail end of Willie Mays's career when he was with the Mets and uh, somebody else Mike uh, Roger sorry if I'm mispronouncing that last name his first game was in the 60s at Yankee Stadium and apparently Mickey Mantle was off that day, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, cool to see some of the memories that people have shared. And uh, another thing that I had posted just off your note there about when it was um, permissible to drive around. But uh, it still is encouraged for folks to get exercise. So hope uh, you can get some fresh air. Hopefully the weather around here warms up and we don't have any more snow like uh, <laughs> this past weekend. But made the, the trip over to Camp Allen Park, which is just outside of downtown off of Main Street, and admittedly, you know, I actually never stopped to take the time to look at the monuments that were put up just a few years ago, a project that the Tin Caps were involved in, along with Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, and some other uh, others who donated, and that's the site of the first-ever professional baseball league game between the Fort Wayne Kikiangas and the Cleveland Forest Cities in 1871. Uh, really wild while we have arguably the best ballpark in all of minor league baseball currently here in downtown Fort Wayne, like we've talked about before. The the baseball tradition and history goes back to, you know, basically the, the genesis of the game, and that was a precursor to Major League Baseball. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, an example of something that I finally, with a, a newfound uh, Sunday afternoon, took the time to go over there uh, and visit. And we did not broadcast that game back in 1887. No. <laughs> Contrary to some rumors, uh, <laughs> you, you were not on the call of that one. By the way, when you were describing how to play uh, P-Knuckle, what is it that you call out when you're putting your hand out there? Meld. What was the other term you said? You call Trump. Okay, that's all the politics that we have in store <laughs> Here for this this podcast you, you, you conversation, call, you call spades, clubs, hearts, or diamonds, and then meld, which would be like I say, a run. The way we play it, a run is fifteen. Okay, uh, nine and Trump is one. Aces, if you have aces around, is ten. Kings are eight. Queens are six. Jacks are four. 
regular pinochle, which is queen of spades, check a diamond is four. And I was really pinochle just setting you up to mention okay. the, the trial. You, you know me, John. Once I start talking, it's hard to stop. Okay, last thing here in case anyone's playing um, Scrabble. Pinochle is spelled P-I-N-O-C-H-L-E. So that's got to be quite a few points right there. That's true. Add them up. You mentioned, uh, Mike, that you're getting close to two decades with the organization. So predating the, the Tin Caps time at Parkview Field, going back to the Wizards era at Memorial Stadium. And as a side plug here, this past week on uh, MILB.com, there was a cool little feature story as the the Guys and girls there are trying to be as creative as they can to uh, to provide some good content. But looking back at some of the uh, the logos uh, of the past around minor league baseball and the Wizards logo was included. Tyler Mon uh, had the story there. So cool to see uh, some reminiscing, some nostalgia for the Wizards uh, and for that matter, some other Midwest League teams and others around minor league baseball. But uh, we present that context just to say that, you know, you've seen and you've been in Fort Wayne for the entirety of the organization's history. So right now, while we don't have anything to directly talk about for 2020, let's look back and, you know, what kind of top memories flood your mind when you think back at minor league baseball here in Fort Wayne? Let's go back. And I was not with the original 1993 Wizards on the road when they began existence in 1993 in Waterloo, Iowa. But, um, I will tell you, our colleagues, uh, Dean Pantazzi and Kent Horman, were there representing uh, TV stations. And uh, there was, at that time, we had beat writers from both the Journal Gazette and the New Sentinel uh, that covered the team. Jim Saturday was with the Journal Gazette, and Marlon Morgan, um, who today is, in, I believe, in, I want to say Chattanooga, in Tennessee. He covered it for the New Sentinel. And they were on the road. And the original first game was never played because it was rained out. So the next day they played a doubleheader. And in the third inning of the first ever game by the Fort Wayne Wizards, uh, they turned a triple play. And haven't since. And have not since. Um, But then they came back home. That in itself, just not to interrupt you, that is pretty amazing. Uh, And then in similar fashion – in the first couple months there for the franchise, I know a couple other you know, really uh, incredible feats happened right away with, what, a 6-8 game. I remember, well, the, in 1993, the starting catcher was a gentleman by the name of Rene Lopez. And he had back-to-back games. It was a three-game series with what was then the Beloit Brewers. Uh, today they're known as the Snappers, but they were the Brewers back then because they were uh, an affiliate. And um, Rene had a um, a six for six game, and he had a four for four game, and he reached base uh, ten consecutive times, which uh, is still a Fort Wayne record today. And he was the only one to have a six hit game until yes. Rudy Heron did that back in 2015. So it had been uh, 22 plus long, years, long, long time. And it was the the last one to, to interject with would be the cycle mm-hmm. in that inaugural season, right? Yes. And no one did that again until Gabriel Arias, Padres prospect, who accomplished that late in 2018. Mm-hmm. But if I think some of our listeners will remember that for the first six years of the franchise, the Wizards were an affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. And 
I remember opening night in 1993, and I remember for a number of reasons, huge buzz in town. If my memory is correct, 6,318 people came to what was then known as Memorial Stadium. And we were, uh, we being the Wizards, were uh, playing the uh, Peoria Chiefs. And two things I remember about it. Uh, the Wizards had a highly touted prospect in the twin organization, a right-hander by the name of Scott Moten, pitched one of his best games. And uh, the long and short of it was the Wizards won that very first game 7-2. to two. And the starting catcher for Peoria that particular night uh, was a guy who made it as far as AAA. And um, I'm sure I'm getting old, John, because I'm trying to remember Jack's last name. You just gave us the exact number of fans yes, that I were did. at the game. I so. know. Uh, I'm thinking back to... Uh, the long and short of it was is that he was he for one year he was the voice of the Wizards here in Fort Wayne and oh wow and, uh, oh gosh I'm gonna go nuts and uh, maybe jump out a window if I don't remember all the different Jack 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 he's in Sacramento well, uh, California easy, right now easy does it and if if you do make sure you're just uh, six feet away from he, anybody else you're right he, his. Uh, his girlfriend, his name was Elizabeth. He married her. Now we're getting personal. They are teachers in Sacramento. Jack Johnson, thank you very much. Jack Johnson was the a singer? starting catcher uh, that night. But the other thing I remember about opening night in 1993 was the late, great Bob Chase was going through the crowd as they filed into the stadium before the ball game. And he was just stopping all kinds of fans with a recorder, and just wanted to know how they felt about minor league baseball returning to the Summit City. And I just remember, at that time, I was also doing some work with the, the, the new Sentinel, and I was with uh, one of a few radio stations I've been in in, in the last 31 years. And um, we're watching Bob go through the stands, and he would tap someone on the shoulder, can I ask you? turn the recorder on and ask a question or two, ask them their name. It was so neat, the rapport. And Bob is revered not only a broadcaster with the Comets for over 60 years, but he was also a DJ and and he got started in that. But to have someone of that stature uh, to take a moment and talk to John Q. Fan was neat. It was really neat to see. That sticks out in my mind for some strange reason. That's awesome. Yeah, I never heard that, and wonder if perhaps uh, in the archives over at WoWo they may have a, a copy of that still. That's and something we could look into. Maybe. For me, during my time here with the Tin Caps, certainly a highlight was having the chance to to meet Bob and shake his hand, and now it sounds crazy to talk about shaking somebody's hand, but uh, yeah. to shake his hand before he threw out a first pitch, uh, and there he was in, in his later 80s, and that was on the 4th of July and he was one of the many veterans who we were celebrating that night. I was fortunate to have Bob come on for a morning game at Memorial Stadium in 2007. And if you know back then, Bob was also the sports director for WoWo, and he would be on in the morning from 5 to 9. Uh, and then he came over to the ballpark, and he was kind enough to spend seven innings with me on the air. And I will never forget it because... Bob Chase was a prince. You know, you and I are lucky, John. We're in a business. We get to tell 
a lot of people what's happening in an athletic event, whether it be baseball, and you and I have both done work for Purdue, Fort Wayne, and other sports. But to meet people and in, in all walks of life, whether they're a professional athlete or they're a Hall of Fame broadcaster like Bob Chase was and some others, it is so neat, so neat to just to see that, that connection there where, hey, he's an everyday guy, and, wow, he spends time with you, even if it's just for a few moments, and talks with you. And I remember that day in 2007, uh, the one time I was able to have Bob with me on a broadcast. How about just since you talked about opening night at Memorial Stadium, just to jump ahead then to 2009 and opening up Parkview Fields, what was that like? It was wild. Uh, Again, excitement. There was both excitement and apprehension because there was a lot of discussion as to whether there would be renovations made to Memorial Stadium or building a new ballpark in downtown Fort Wayne. And Jason Fryer had recently purchased ownership of the team. And um, Jason had a vision of, hey, let's go downtown. We start from scratch, do something new. And this ballpark was built. And many a time over the years, I've called it the creme de la creme of minor league baseball for a number of reasons. But that opening night, um, let me preface it. The 2009 season began with a series, three-game series in Lansing against the Lugnuts. And we won all three. And then they went up to Appleton, Wisconsin, and took on the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And lo and behold, uh, they won that series. So they come home unbeaten. We had this huge crowd here. And lo and behold, we shut out the Dayton Dragons seven to nothing, and James Darnell was our starting third baseman that year, that night, and in the second inning, he hit the first ever home run here at Parkview Field. And again, what I look at, John, is, and one of the great things about sports in general and baseball in particular, baseball brings people together. It's been called the national pastime for many, many years. A lot of people think that the NFL may supersede it today. But baseball, unlike football, the way the stadiums are set up, you can have direct conversations with a player and a fan much more easily than you can for football. And you have young and old. We talk about your dad taking you to see the Mets play when you were only five or six months old. How shameful you don't remember what happened mm-hmm. that day. But that's it. You have a, 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 a loving father who loves his son and say, son, I want you to, we're going to spend time together and we're going to watch a baseball game. And you got great people playing baseball. So you see a great athletic event. You spend bonding time between father and son. Or it could be father, daughter, mother, daughter, whatever. That's what baseball can bring to people, to getting together, to meeting new people, to meeting friends that, in some cases, you'll have for the rest of your life just by a chance get together. Those are some of the things. And we won. We end up winning our um, our first ten games that year. And of course, that was the year we end up going ninety-four and forty-six, and would ultimately win the Midwest League title. 
Uh, that year we had one 10-game winning streak to nine-game winning streaks. I remember being uh, at the All-Star game and, and Mike Nutter telling four players uh, that, hey, you're getting promoted, and okay, we're losing four really good players. What's going to happen? And we actually had a better one-loss record in the second half than we did in the first half. And then we had to escape the, the Midwest League playoff structure was best of three, best of three, best of five. We had to come from behind against both South Bend and Great Lakes. Uh, I think a lot of people will forever remember the Robert Lara home run uh, to win the series against the Loons here in extra innings. And then we go and and we take on the Burlington Bees. And I think back to game two of the series against Burlington. And not only did we win the game and would ultimately go out to Iowa and win game three and win the title, one of the things I remember about game two, and and Mike Nutter can verify some of this, the walk-up that we had fan-wise for game two, there were well over 3,000 fans that came out for that game. And... And the background there is that in minor league baseball or minor league sports in general, unlike in major league baseball and the other top-level leagues, it winds up being harder to sell tickets for the playoffs because the schedule is coming out just a day in advance. And at that point in the fall, you know, people have their their school schedules and other activities going on compared to in the regular season where the team can use the whole offseason in advance Yeah to sell a lot of tickets and and i remember mike talking about it he was just dumbfounded he couldn't believe the turnout people coming to the ballpark to will call i want a ticket i want a ticket and it was an electric feeling we had that big crowd and you and i both know like you say minor league postseason baseball you don't get the biggest crowds like we do in the regular season and to have i want to say it was close to four thousand fans in this place and to win and that was just a really, really neat feeling. And then two days later, uh, we won the championship in Iowa. Uh, so that's some of the, you know, we talk about opening night at Memorial Stadium in 93 and opening night here at Parkview Field in 2009. But, wow, so many other things have happened over the last 27 years. And, uh, you know, we were talking beforehand, um, we think about events, we think about players or dignitaries that have come here. Um, I know there was for a number of years um, an event where we would have former major league stars come here. And and I'm thinking of people like Bill Buckner and Dave, Bobby Richards. Bobby Richardson and Richardson. Dave Parker. Uh, Ernie Banks has been here, was here, uh, and others. Um, and getting to interview some of those players was phenomenal. Let um, me go back one more time to back in the Wizard days. 1994, the Minnesota Twins came here to play an exhibition game. One of the things I remember most about that game, before the game, getting to do a one-on-one interview with Hall of Famer Kirby Puckett, a one-on-one interview with Hall of Famer Dave Winfield, and a one-on-one interview with Twins manager Tom Kelly. Those are interviews I'll never forget. And again, these are major league stars, Hall of Fame players. And 
wow, you know, you're on cloud nine. I remember growing up in Detroit, and back in 1968, I got to shake some Tigers' hands because I played Malat Lutheran League baseball, and the team in my age group came in second in the state of Michigan, and we used to really uh, do our thing for on Lutheran night, Malat Lutheran League Lutheran night, and I got to meet some Tigers back in 68. But to meet these two Hall of Famers and to have them treat you, knock on wood, like you and I treat each other, just as good friends, and we don't know them. But that, those are things that I remember, and that's something that more often than not you only get in baseball. Yeah, and to echo your sentiments there, in con- more contemporary times, it was only a couple years ago that we had Trevor Hoffman here, mm-hmm. who now since has been inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, and Trevor's such a, a class act, a similar experience for us getting to host him here. Um, you talked about 94 back uh, in the Wizards' days and that year and talking to you know, Hall of Famers. I know that year the Wizards hosted the Midwest League All-Star Game and not a necessarily a Hall of Fame player, but a Hall of Fame broadcaster, Ernie Harwell, was present. And as you've alluded to, you grew up uh, in Detroit as a, as a big Tigers fan, and I know that was a really special moment for you. It was for a number of reasons. Yeah, we hosted – 1994 was the bicentennial year in the city of Fort Wayne. And it was the second year of operation for the Wizards in the Midwest League. The Fort Wayne Fury was a member of the Continental Basketball Association, and the Fort Wayne Comets were in the International Hockey League, which at that time was AAA level hockey. And the powers that be just worked it out so that Fort Wayne hosted – the Midwest League All-Star Game, the IHL All-Star Game, and the CBA All-Star Game. And uh, Ernie Harwell, and I grew up listening to him, like he used to listen to Bob Murphy and some others in the Mets. He was the keynote speaker for the Midwest League Luncheon, which was at the Memorial Coliseum. And I still have on cassette tape today his talk, he politely gave me a one-on-one interview for the one radio station I was working with. And then he had agreed there were two radio stations that broadcasted the 94 Midwest League All-Star game. Tom Nichols, who is the voice of the Dayton Dragons now, but he was the original voice of the Fort Wayne Wizards. He was broadcasting the game back here. And the King County Cougars. Bill Baker, longtime voice of Northern Illinois uh, football and, and basketball, and who cur- and worked with the Cougars. Um, he did a, a 20, 21 years of Midwest League All-Star Game broadcast. And Ernie had agreed to do an inning with each radio station. And back in the day, those of you that were uh, fortunate enough to go out to Memorial Stadium and got up on the fourth floor, uh, the media floor, if you will, there was a home radio booth, a visiting radio booth, there was uh, a PA booth, there was the media booth, and there was a TV booth where Channel 33 used to broadcast the home opener for a number of years. And it just so happened that Ernie and I came up the elevator together, and we walked into the media room. And there were, besides the official scorer, who was Rich Taverney, who was one of the official scorers uh, today, there were 19 other sports writers because almost everyone in the league covered it for their respective cities. And Ernie's, and that's pretty uh, amazing to think about now because that doesn't necessarily happen yeah. nowadays. We're lucky here in Fort Wayne to have the coverage from the Journal Gazette mm-hmm. and beat writer Dylan Sin, and he's attended 
some Midwest League All-Star games and has traveled on the road to cover the team at times, but that's uh, an aberration nowadays. Yeah. So Ernie said, I'm getting claustrophobia. And he was going to do the third inning with one station and the fourth inning with the other, and he was going to head back to Detroit. And I've said this to a number of people for a lot of times. Um, to some small degree, I idolized Ernie. I listened with bated breath for many years, Tiger broadcast, whether it was in Detroit or on the West Coast or wherever it may be. Ernie and I, if, again, the makeup of the fourth floor used to have an overhang where the TV station's cameramen would come and do a lot of their filming for the sportscast. And there were two chairs there where uh, where they went. Ernie and I spent the first two innings together, just him and I. I learned more about life in those two innings besides broadcasting. And I've said this, and I hope I'm, I'm not being repetitious, and if I am, I apologize. He taught me three things. Rule number one, be yourself. Don't try to imitate anybody. You'll be found out in a heartbeat. Rule number two, have fun. If you're not having fun where you're at, or not, you're not where you belong. And rule number three was geared more towards the broadcasting angle. Paint the picture. And he went on to say that the greatest gift a broadcaster can receive is not necessarily broadcasting at the major league level or not making a million dollars. It's getting a comment from a listener who says that by listening to your broadcast, they felt as if they were right there at the ballpark. And that has proven true in, in my career. Um, but I learned that from Ernie Harwell, and I've tried to apply that um, every year since. And I've been in this broadcasting business since 1990. Beautifully said by Ernie, and thank you for for sharing that message and let's just stay on the topic of all-star games because then again we jump ahead to mm -hmm. the Parkview Field generation in 2010 the second year for the ballpark got to host the Midwest League all-star game again and you tell me this because when we look back at it here a decade later what really jumps out is that Mike Trout then a prospect for the Angels playing with the Cedar Rapids Colonels was not only in the All-Star game, he was also in the Home Run Derby, and he did not advance to the finals of that Home Run Derby, but he did hit a home run in the All-Star game itself, correct? And he was the game MVP. And so at the time, I mean, you're not going to project necessarily that he's going to become the the very best player in the major leagues, and he, he has been that now for several years. But did you remember thinking like, oh, Mike Trout's a, a name that I'll try to remember here? Truthfully, I didn't. I, I knew he was a very good player. Um, he was a first-round pick of the he, Angels, though not yes. one overall. By the way, and you know this, is, uh, he's from your native He's from state. New Jersey. He's although from he, your native state. He yeah. is from uh, South Jersey. grew up closer to Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, but yes, def definitely someone that New Jersey can take pride in. But, but I remember, let me go back the night before the All-Star game, and we had the home run derby here. And that particular year, our first baseman was a six foot eight inch really tall player from Duke University, Nate Fryman. Went on to become, I believe, tied for the tallest ever major league position player mm -hmm. when he got to play first base for the A's around 2013-14. Uh, yeah. 
And uh, Nate was in the home run derby. And in the finals, well, in the semi, um, I'm trying to remember exactly, it was the semifinals or the finals. In the finals, he went up against Chris Davis, who uh, at last uh, that I knew was still with the Oakland days, and they had four consecutive years of hitting 247. 247, yeah. Or maybe it was 243. Oh, I want to say 243 is what I was Okay, thinking. I'll trust you. Not the one for the Orioles who no. went like a year without a hit. But the other one, and Nate hit a line drive down the left field line. And if you've ever been to Parkview Field, uh, down the foul lines, the foul poles, uh, there is signage. And in this particular year, 2010, the signage on the left field foul pole was by what was then known as Huntington College. Today it's Huntington University. And Nate hit a screaming line drive down the left field line. It hit the foul pole, and not only hit the foul pole, it shattered the sign. I remember that. But the thing I remember even more than that, Chris Davis. And and today we look out, uh, you know, when you look out at the ballpark beyond center field, uh, you've got uh, the Tuthill 400 Club and, and that nice facility where a lot of fans and can bring either companies or families or whatever and, and see the ball game. Chris Davis parked one, and it wasn't the way it is today, but it was still there was a building there, and Chris parked one over that building on the fly and won the home run derby. And I think everyone's jaw dropped. I I remember uh, in the postgame get-together talking with some Midwest League executives, and their jaws just dropped about uh, how far Chris Davis hit that ball. And look what happened. You can say Nate Freiman made it to the big leagues. Chris Davis made it to the big leagues. Mike Trout is generally accepted as the best player in baseball, Major League Baseball right now. And hopefully he'll get, uh, as all of us hope to, is that baseball continues just get back into action. But they were all here in 2010 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here at the All-Star, Midwest League All-Star game. Yeah, of course, that's part of the, the fun of what we do here. Uh, in the franchise's history, 188 Wizards and 10 Caps have gone on to make the majors, and that doesn't count those on the other side and those who played in the All-Star games. Uh, you're talking about Alex Rodriguez hitting the first pro home run of his career in 1994 as well. And we can go on, and actually we will go on. But first, Mike, let's consider this. Stretch time here, and the seventh inning stretch at Parkview Field is brought to you by MHS. Learn more at mhsindiana.com. Our podcast here is also brought to you in part by Precision Glass. When you need glass service in your home, your business, or even your vehicle, contact Precision Glass for fast professional glass services. You can visit them online at precisionglassfw.com. And if you have a tooth problem, then go where the tin caps go. That's Lima Road Family Dentistry. Doctors Hal Atkinson, Angie King, Maria Gorey, and their entire staff provide common sense, effective dentistry. They're located on Lima Road up near DuPont. Learn more at limaroaddentistry.com. Tin Caps Baseball brought to you by Gerber Collision and Glass as well. You can head to gerbercollision.com or call 877-7-GERBER and get it to Gerber. And we can't have our headsets on here talking Tin Caps without saying hello to our friend, Harold Myers, who has been the sponsor of every pitching change 
not just at Parkview Field, but going back to the inaugural Wizard season in 1993. Whenever you need the answer to a legal question, the man with the answer is Harold Myers. You can call him up at 260-424-8223. And finally for now, we're also brought to you by Parkview First Care Walk-In Clinics. Convenient quality care is right here at First Care. And again, thanks everyone over at Parkview, all of our other health officials around the area, around the country, the world for that matter, uh, trying to guide us through this COVID-19 pandemic. I, th I think I've told you in the past, for some crazy unknown reason several years ago, I decided to try to take count of how many pitching changes Harold oh my has sponsored. Gosh. Sometimes I, you say I went sometimes you say something crazy and it's not actually crazy. That is legitimately crazy. crazy. Yes. Nuts. Fortunately, I gave up after a, a short period of time. Uh, yeah, yeah, some phenomenal number, but Harold and everyone I gave mentioned have been great sponsors of Fort Wayne baseball. But, uh, and so if we can't say their names on April 9th, uh, figured we'd uh, give them a yeah. shout out here, and that's not even the uh, the complete list and. Certainly, we've been posting on social media, too, to support some of the sponsors who have restaurants uh, in the area, yes. as you can still carry out. And, um, yeah, I hope everyone's doing their part to help help our partners in the community and especially those who are partners here at Parkview Fields. But, Mike, we were starting to talk about some of the individuals, and we'll give a plug here as a, an ongoing project that we have now on our social media channels and on tincaps.com. We've set up a bracket to determine who's the greatest player in Fort Wayne's franchise history. Again, we've said 188 guys have got on to make the major leagues. We've trimmed that down to a list of 16, so a bracket style. And and we won't, uh, won't break down that bracket, bracketology style right now, but when I just throw out there, greatest players in franchise history, and later we can also talk about the Trouts and the A-Rods, but who comes to mind as being the best players that you've seen. And one thing that I'll just add on there that can make it interesting for you to evaluate maybe is that sometimes the guys who have the most success in the major leagues don't necessarily, maybe surprisingly, thrive here. And then contrastly, there are some guys who can look like juggernauts here at the Class A level who don't necessarily materialize. So we just throw out, though, the blanket term, greatest player or players in franchise history. Who do you think of first? Uh, the very first two people I think of somewhat collectively, Latroy Hawkins, the Gary, Indiana native, and the first was the ace of the staff in 1993. Had a 15-5 and five record, led the league in wins, led the league in strikeouts. I'm trying to remember if he finished first or second in ERA. And I remember during the course of that season, he threw a one-hit shutout. He has in those, some of those numbers you brought up there. Still last as franchise records are close to the top as franchise records. And one in particular, the complete games that he threw and the shutouts that he threw, I mean, those are not going to be touched, barring another drastic change to how mm -hmm. the game's played. I, I think of Latroy Hawkins in 1994. Torrey Hunter played, and he played left field in Fort Wayne. He's known for his big league career as playing in primarily center field. Um and it's really cool in yeah. the last uh, couple of years, we got to see Torrey Hunter Jr. Yep. play here on the opposite side coming up in the Angels organization now. But, yeah, how about the start? During that Twins period, 
Hawkins in the inaugural season, and he would become the first Fort Wayne alum to crack the big leagues, and then Hunter the season after that. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but um, I think of a character, and I call him a character. AJ Persinski was here in both 1995 and 1996, switch hitting catcher. Um, I don't want to say he was a rabble rouser, but he got into the opposition skin. And he think uh, it's interesting to know that he was that way when he started here. I think yeah. still as a teenager, yep. but he kind of continued that uh, reputation throughout his big league career and winning a World Series with the White Sox. Yeah, I, I I think about those those three, and there were a number of others that went into the big leagues, and primarily with the Twins, like a Corey Kosky or Michael Kadire. Michael Kadire, Michael Kadire in nineteen ninety eight, one of the nicest players that. I've had the pleasure of talking to in my 31-year broadcast career. That's really awesome to hear because that was arguably the most challenging year of his entire pro career, and he'd go on to become a, a National League batting title champ. But that year, I, this is a note that I've looked up in the past, not that I was here to witness it, but that year he was uh, a prospect at shortstop, mm-hmm. and he set what would be still to this day as a franchise record for errors in a season. And then notably, from that point forward in his career, from high A through the big leagues, he played every single position on the field, I think besides catcher and shortstop. He never went back to shortstop. Kind of similar in more recent years to Franchi Cordero, who would have broken (laughs) Kadire's record in 2015 if they hadn't moved him to the outfield. And then Franchi now is a guy who's in the outfield picture with the Padres. And by the way, that number for errors by Michael Kadire in 1998 was 61. And again, now just as a little tangent here, I will bring that up to people, again, talking about the idea that we can see guys forget about looking like the best. We can see guys flat out fail at this level, and yet that's not indicative of what the future holds for him. You were talking about Przinsky, according to our record book, he still has the franchise mark for most pass balls in a season. Now, he obviously figured out a way to continue on at catcher at yeah. a high level in the big leagues for a long time. But, yeah, we can go go down a long list of guys who did not stand out, weren't all-stars here, who uh, yeah. have made a healthy living. On the Padres side of things, you start with Jake Peavy. He was 13-8 and eight in 2000, and... Um, I think he had he was the ERA champion as well, and look at look at the big league career he ended up having. Initially with the Padres, also spent time with the Red Sox and uh, the San Francisco Giants. Um, and I just thought, just flashing through my mind, uh, John, the Padres had an exhibition game here, and Tony Gwynn was here. I I remember that as well. Um, Sean Burrell's dad was a big leaguer and Sean was here in 1999 and he still has uh, that was the first the season first... of the Padres affiliation yeah and ironically he still holds the franchise record for highest batting average in the year but he was not the Midwest League champion he was third really? third in the league wow in hitting um I remember uh, uh I remember Sean playing here he had the franchise record for uh, longest hitting streak, too, until 2016 when Austin Allen surpassed him. Yeah. And uh, 
who who can forget 2017 moving up a few years fernando tatis jr and i talk about interviews that mean a lot to me and and i mentioned uh the interviews with Kirby Puckett and Dave Winfield. I was fortunate enough on a Sunday afternoon here at Parkview Field to sit down with Fernando and his dad. And I think a lot of baseball uh, fans remember that his dad, Fernando Tatis Jr., while with the St. Louis Cardinals, not only hit two Grand Slam home runs in the same game, he hit him in the same inning and off the same pitcher at Dodger Stadium in L.A. Chan Hill Park, and that's the only time that's ever, happened, ever happened in big league history. And I remember we sat in the in the tin cap dugout first base side, and I, there was – and we talk about the relationships that can develop between fans and players in baseball. I sat there that Sunday afternoon – and I saw the love and respect that father had for son and son had for father. And they both have attained a dream of playing Major League Baseball. And Fernando, uh, he's the top draw for the Padres today, and we just hope that he can stay healthy, that once baseball returns, he will excite not only fans at Petco Park, but fans throughout baseball with the God-given talent that he possesses. And I'm so jealous of you for that one because somehow I never got to meet Fernando Tatis Sr. when he was here for uh, at least a couple of days yeah. that summer. I somehow wound up arranging a, fo- a photograph between junior and senior that team photographer Jeff Nyes took. I, I can't recall how I was able to tell Jeff to set up that photo, but I didn't get a chance to be there present myself. Yeah, because we had reached out trying to get him to come on the broadcast, and it and didn't work out. But I'm glad that you at least had the chance to uh, to capture that moment. And yeah, I think right now, you know, he's coming off of his standout rookie season with the Padres. Odds are that he's on his way to becoming the most accomplished player in the franchise's history, being Fort Wayne's franchise history uh, in terms of impact in the big leagues. But you know, time will tell because, as you were saying, with some of those others. Tory Hunter, a Latroy Hawkins, a Jake Peavy, and the uh, the list continues. Those guys were able to really build up uh, successful careers for quite a long time. And another one that over the last handful of years who really would jump out to would be Trey Turner mm-hmm. for the less than half a season that, that he had here following when he was drafted by the Padres in 2014. But that was memorable. Two other prospects that come to mind of recent note. Mackenzie Gore, mm-hmm. um, and he had the he had the blister problems here in Fort Wayne. Yeah, he he goes in that category of guys who we didn't see at their best here, mm-hmm. and then he put up just ridiculous numbers when healthy last year with High Lake Elsinore and eventually Double A Amarillo, and he's knocking on the door of the bigs. And right-hander Luis Patino, and I know that you enjoyed broadcasting the game up at Dow Diamond in Midland, Michigan, when. He broke Latroy Hawkins' well, franchise actually, record. That was actually Pedro Avila oh, that's in 2017. Right. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. But, but, but I, and that was okay. a lot of fun to, to call my, you right. My but bad. Patino in 2018, then alongside Gore, uh, was electric. And he's one of those guys where part of the fun of this is that he was not on those top 30 prospect lists. At the start of that season, he was a sleeper who now, again, is right there with McKenzie on the verge of becoming a major leaguer. Thank you for correcting me because I've got 
we talk about players and we talk about nights and events, and I've got so many going through my mind right now. And those so, guys are similar in stature, yeah. shorter right-handers, or not necessarily short, but they aren't yeah. big. I talk about Patino and, and, and what the future may hold for him, and we'll talk briefly about uh, Pedro. 17 strikeouts, which is the franchise record now for strikeouts in a game, and that that breaks the record of 15 that LaTroy Hawkins had in 1993. And, uh, uh, yeah, I know you had a lot of fun uh, doing that broadcast up in Midland, Michigan. 2017, for my period here, that was uh, the only Eastern Division championship that I've gotten to witness and right before my time. You were around for one in 2012 Twelve. Uh, as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting again to see over the course of time some of those guys from the 2017 team already a, a bunch of them have made the big leagues in, in short time and who will really wind up standing out the most well i think we know the answer is tatis yeah. i should say who else <laughs> will stand out with him time and health will tell but it's a lot of fun and so stay tuned again to tincaps.com and the social media channels uh, as all of a sudden we have some time to uh, to examine some of these past moments and individuals who've really stood out over the course of the franchise's first 27 years. Well, Mike, we'll kind of start to, to wrap it up here and just to, to look ahead to whenever baseball will return. And maybe fitting that we were highlighting opening day 1993, opening day 2009, I think it's safe to say that whenever we get baseball again here in downtown Fort Wayne, that will be as anticipated of an opening day as any other, just like 93-09, opening up new ballparks because, again, to, to tie it into Vin Scully's comments that we shared uh, from the beginning and, and what you were mentioning, you know, just how baseball, it's more than just the game itself, right? It's part of the fabric of the community, and it's very special how the Tin Caps organization has been celebrated here in Fort Wayne and, and has been part of the renaissance of downtown specifically and really the the entire region in some ways and so since we're not getting it when we thought we would uh, on April 13th and it'll be just these unforeseen and really never before experienced over the last century kind of circumstances it's going to be quite the scene I think when we finally get to say play ball again here and if I could make one final shameful plug John our boss Ten Cap Team President Mike Nutter, what he has meant to this community, not just when he came here in 2000, uh, worked under Bill Larson for one year and then became the general manager, and what he has done not only with this franchise but within the community, um, he is a treasure. Uh, and I'm biased. Um, I'm, we're both fortunate to call him not only a boss but our friend. Um, and what he has done to spark interest in the game of baseball and in the community of Fort Wayne and meshing the two together, um, he deserves a lot of the credit for helping to make this facility what it is, this franchise what it is. And I know both of us can't wait for hopefully things to settle down, get better, and finally we're going to hear someone say those immortal words, play ball, and uh and we're certainly looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely there with what you said about Mike Nutter and fortunate to have that kind of leadership here to guide us through uh, a time of unknowns. And uh, we definitely trust that, that Mike will continue to lead the Tin Caps and our whole community and then expanding greater the country and, and the whole 
whole global society to better days ahead in last year. Very deservedly, Mike, inducted into the Northeast Indiana Baseball Hall of Fame. At this point, and it's hard for us to look ahead too much to the next season of Tin Caps Baseball since you don't know who's on the roster with uh, you know that basically turning over year to year. We do know the coaching staff, at least, and we'll have manager Anthony Contreras back for a fifth season. We'll have hitting coach Jonathan Matthews back for a third season, a change at pitching coach and someone who I had a chance to briefly meet at spring training early in March and someone, though, who you had a chance to, to watch pitch here. 2004, Leo Rosales, uh, a somewhat stocky right-hander. Um, and, I again, I told you I used the cheat sheets a little bit. In 2004, he had a record of 6-1 and one and an ERA of 1.40 and 57 and two-thirds innings of work. He recorded 26 saves, and he struck out 68 batters in those 57 and two-thirds innings, and he was the closer. Um, and that was during a period where we had a number of, of pitchers who would lead the league in saves. And uh, and Leo is getting his chance to come back to Fort Wayne. I'm anxious to, uh, when the time comes, when he does come back up here, uh, to say hello to him again, and, and we'll see how he handles the pitching staff. Uh, and as you say, AC, franchise leader in wins, coming back for year number five. Jonathan Matthews is a joy to talk to when we want to talk about the art of hitting. Uh, we're going to have a new train, athletic trainer and a new That'll strength be, uh, and conditioning coach. Yep, Nick Coberly, the new athletic trainer. He's an Ohio native. Uh, ben Loftus is the team's new strength coach, and also the team's fielding coach will be uh, new on board, Jonathan Meyer, not to be confused with Jonathan Matthews. So look forward to seeing that crew get here when the time is right. Yep, when the time is right and the sun comes out or the sun sets, if we have a night game, uh, and just to get this community back together again, uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun and something that this franchise has tried to espouse for many, many years, family, fun, entertainment, and hopefully that will get underway sooner rather than later. And even affordable at that. Lastly, since, again, we don't know what to necessarily preview too much on the field, probably, though, we'll say C.J. Abrams, who we got to see for a couple of games last year, one of the top, not only Padres prospects, but one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball. It's been kind of cool as you know, Baseball America, for example, puts out some of their preview content of what they're looking forward to and rankings of who fans should keep an eye on. He's someone who is at the top of, of those lists and follows along the lines of the – Guys, we've been lucky to see like Tatis, like Turner, mm-hmm. specifically there at the shortstop position. But he's one of the fastest guys in all the minors already, even though he's just 19 years old. And he was a really stand-up guy from our, our little bit of time getting to know him so far. But uh, more so, we do know what's in store on the promotional side. And so what uh, what promotion are you looking forward to this year, Mike? There's a lot of them. You know, the continuation of the, the Monday Family Feast Nights. Well, you get the thanks dollar, to U.S. Foods. Thanks to U.S. Foods with dollar items uh, from the concession stand, and of course, Thirsty Thursdays. Uh, uh, that's the night in uh, minor league baseball, at least in the Midwest League. It seems to be throughout the league. The theme nights. And those are brought to you by Rudy's. Rudy's, yes, from uh, behind the ballpark here. Uh, the one I'm looking forward to, for some strange reason, maybe because I have two cats at home. 
I didn't know that. Paws and Claws Nights, presented by Lost Country Kennel. Uh, that'll be on Wednesday nights, um, and that'll be for night games only. Um, the theme nights, and one other person we probably should say congratulations, thank you to for his many years of hard work is creative designer Tony Desplains. One of the things that has made the Tin Cap organization well-known and respected, Tony has had some, fa- some fantastic ideas the specialty jerseys that he has helped to create over the last several years. Phenomenal. They ought to be award-winning, in my opinion, and I'm biased, but he's come up with some great ideas over the years. And when you think back, one of the things that many organizations do, and the Tin Caps are no exception, they will have a special theme night, and we can talk about, uh, you know, be it the 4th of July or Memorial Day or, or other events, where the tin caps were specially made jerseys. And more often than not, those jerseys, um, I, I don't want to use the term sold off, but people... They're bid. auctioned They're off. Auction, thank you yeah. for the right word. And, the, and most of the, if not all, the proceeds go to charitable places here in town. And again, it's a way where the tin caps try to minor, uh, interact with the community but his creative genius for creating some of these journey, uh, jerseys and to see the fans. And one of the things I love to do is to do a post-game show after a theme night, more often than not, hopefully a win, and to see the, the fans who have put in bids and they get them. And not only do they get this jersey they get to get to take home, but they get to spend a brief moment or two with the person they're getting the jersey for, from, whether it's a player or a manager or coach. And again, I, I've been harping on it throughout our chat, uh, John, this interaction between members, be it the players, the coaches, the front office staff, and the fans, because without the fans, there is not the success that the Tin Cap organization has been able to achieve over the years. But uh, And Tony's had a great deal to deal with the design of those specialty jerseys, um, and, of course, the National Entertainment Act that will be coming back, as always. Uh, Jake the Diamond Dog, uh, Dog, Quick Change, Superstars, Bird Cirque. I'm looking forward to Violinus Daniel D. coming back. He was phenomenal when he was here last year. And you come to see a baseball game, and you and I are somewhat baseball purists because we think about what happens between the white lines. But a huge majority of the fans that come out to Parkview Field well, the game is okay, but it's the between-innings interaction and some of the things that take place and some of the national acts. That's what families will remember when they go home from the ballpark, not whether the Tin Caps won or lost in regulation or extra innings, but seeing uh, an entertainment act or seeing what happened uh, in between innings, uh, what took place on the field. That's what they'll remember. That's what they'll enjoy, and hopefully that will propel them to tell that to their friends and have their friends come out to see what's happening at Parkview Field as well. Yeah, I like to joke that even though we've got a big scoreboard up in right field, and by the way, this year it'll be brand new HD LED, and then we'll have new ribbon boards on the baselines as well. So even though it's easy to know what the score of the game is, at least I joke, though, that if you tap maybe the average fan on the shoulder during a game and say, hey, who, who's in the lead here? They may not necessarily <laughs> know, be, 
but they're having a great time yeah. for the reasons you mentioned and enjoying the company of family and friends. And so look ahead to those days. And I'm glad you brought up too just the, the way the Tin Caps do have those spectacular jerseys that Tony designs, but then the aspect of the auctions helping out uh, to raise money for nonprofit organizations. And it's a guarantee that once uh, baseball is back here at, at Parkview Field, that the team will be very involved in trying to help out the community uh, recover from just such a, an odd time. And we'll have the uh, the new promotion, like you said, of the Paws and Claws Nights with Dogs and Cats Welcome. And, and right now it almost feels like kind of the world is raining cats and dogs in a way <laughs> uh, as things have been bizarre. And we try to stay together, so hope uh, everyone out there can you know, stay united, help each other out. For now, though, even if it wasn't essential uh, listening, I hope you, you enjoyed uh, some reminiscing and some looking ahead as well. And, Mike, thank you so much uh, for joining. Thank you for the invite. It has been a lot of fun. You can follow Mike on Twitter at the Senior. Now, he's not necessarily... Always on Twitter, which is for the best because it's not a great place to, to spend more time than you need, unfortunately, uh, especially right now. So maybe a better way to stay in touch with Mike would be uh, you can send him an email, moz at tincaps.com, moz, M-A-A-H-S, at tincaps.com. I'm Nolan, N-O-L-A-N, at tincaps.com, and John underscore G underscore Nolan on social media would definitely be great to hear from you as uh, we're in the same boat as you right now, waiting for our tin caps baseball. Anything else to add, Mike? No, as I said a moment ago, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, the chance to get together with you again. And uh, again, everyone stay safe. Uh, Use common sense. We'll get through this. And, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later we'll get to come out to Parkview Field and have some fun. Yep, thanks for saying that and uh, we can tell you we'll have additional hand sanitizer stations here at the ballpark and uh, of course uh, keep washing your hands wherever you may be and stay tuned to tincaps.com and the team's social media channels for the latest information regarding current events. And before we say so long, one final reminder that this broadcast made possible in part by the Hyatt Place Fort Wayne, located on West Washington Center Road, just off I-69, a central location close to everything you want to see and do in Fort Wayne. Book your next day at Hyatt.com. So for Mike, I'm John Nolan saying thanks for listening. This has been a Tin Caps Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.